This morning, I, I'm a little bit, um, I'm kind of like out of my element a little bit um, with what I want to talk about. It's kind of out of my comfort zone. Normally, when I prepare to speak, um, the, the messages I give, they'll usually fall in one of two categories. Sometimes they're like a teaching type of message. Probably 25% of the time, it's like that. And usually that's more for like young adults or kids or something that haven't heard some things. Um, and those are fun because you get to dig deep into the Bible and exegete stuff and all that's really cool. And I get to kind of bring out some of my old Bible college days. And, and another way is, is just a preachy message where you kind of know the stuff already. It's not necessarily like you're going to learn anything new, but you get encouraged. You know, when you get to preach, you're encouraging or coaching or whatever. Today... Is, is different because I feel like, and, and kind of Brooks alluded to it uh, earlier, but like I, I feel like what I have to share for you is a concept, a picture God gave me. And so I know right off the get that I'm not going to be able to put words to this concept when I get to it. And so that, that's weird for me. I just, I'm hoping and I've been praying that as I share it with you, you'll, you'll, the light will go on for you too the way it did for me when I got it. But I, I understand that's not going to necessarily happen for everybody. I feel, I feel a little bit like what a, a new comedian must feel like. That, you know, I've sung in front of thousands of people, I've, and, and everybody thinks, oh, that must be scary. To me, the scariest thing, more than singing in front of people, more than doing what I'm doing right now, has to be telling jokes in front of people. Because if you don't get any laughs, you know right away that you're dying. You know the plane is going down <laughs> fast right away, right? And, and it's got to be weird because you got to be telling your jokes and just being like, okay, they didn't laugh at that one and they didn't laugh at this. And that's got to be horrible. Um, so there's a little bit of that in me where I'm kind of going, I'm going to share this concept with you guys. And, you know, I'm, I'm picturing, I'm hoping some people are like, yeah, that's cool. I'm picturing some other people being like, what the heck are you talking about? So we'll see. We'll see. To get there, though, to get there. What I really feel like God's laid on my heart, I've got to kind of set a backdrop for it, okay? So what I'm going to do is I need to kind of explain a little bit, a little bit of a testimonial of my life of where I kind of was going and where I was and, and sort of the state my brain and my soul and my heart and everything was at when I received this kind of picture from God. And I feel like I need to share how I got to that point because many of you will have experienced a lot of things that are like that, and I feel like maybe it's sort of just kind of preparing the soil for the seed, so to speak. So, so bear with me. I'll try, to, I'll try to be fun about it, but it starts way back when I was a little kid. And I got I to gotta say right off the get that in a minute, I'm going to paint my father kind of in a bad light with something that happened. Now, I got to say, I loved my dad. I had a really good relationship with my dad. My dad was an awesome dad. Okay, and I know that as I share what happened, many of you have had horrible relationships with your fathers and have had horrible things happen and that kind of thing. I'm no way trying to compare with you. Does that make sense? I'm not, I'm not trying to say, like, look how bad it was for me. I, I'm not going to do that. But again, it sets the groundwork, okay? I was little. I was about six, six years old, and I'm having a catch with my dad. My dad taught me how to play baseball and football and all the stuff that I grew to love. And I'm having this catch with my dad. And I, I remember trying to throw it harder and harder. 
Anybody that loves baseball or has played baseball, there's something about the sound of a ball hitting that glove when it's loud. It's so cool. And I, that's what I was going for, you know. I wanted to get it faster and harder. And the idea of, like, stinging my dad's hand was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to come along, you know. And so I'm thrown harder and harder. Well, I sent one sailing over his head, okay. And I know this is going to sound crazy, and I know it's going to sound whiny or whatever, but the look my dad gave me set me into a motion that I would deal with for the rest of my life. It, it, John Eldridge has a book called Wild at Heart. I, I suggest a lot of you guys, I, I say guys because I think it's more written for men. I don't know how much women get out of it. I think his wife wrote one for the women too. But he, he talks about in that book, it took me so long to read that book because I had friends that were like, you got to read this book, you got to read this book. And anytime anybody does that with me, I, I, I back off, like, no, I don't, no, I don't. And it took me a couple of years, and I finally started reading it. Eldridge talks about the wound. And it's, he, for a lot of us, most of us, for some reason, it's something that happened with our fathers when we were young, this wounding that begins to set you on a course for the rest of your life dealing with it, whether it's hiding it or trying to pretend it's not there, or running from it, or becoming something different than it, all these different things. So in a weird way, that look of disgust that my dad gave me when the ball went over his head. Now look, he was a bricklayer, he was working hard, he was probably tired, and it was just one of those things like, you know, it was probably not a big deal. But it was his eyes, it was the way he made contact with me that I felt like I just disappointed him and, compl- and, and more than that, disgusted him that he had to walk and go get that ball. When I started playing and teaching my kids how to throw and all, I told myself I would never do that. In fact, I don't even know if my kids know this, but I would always have catches with them with like a backstop behind me or anything just in case I was grumpy or tired or something so that the ball, because, you know, it happens, right? And so I wouldn't have to go run after a ball. I I promised myself I'd never do that to my kids. Um, But it set me on this path. The best way I can describe it is I became like a performer, like where it mattered what you looked like on the outside so much. It mattered what you accomplished so much. And failure and, and things like, you know, not living up or whatever were, were devastating to me. I lived my whole life like that. And the worst part is that it found its way into my faith. Um, just to kind of lighten things up because I feel like it's getting d- deep here. Um, show that first, f- first slide. Anybody know who that is? Is that, some people have seen the movie. This is Alex Honnold. Now, show the next one. You kind of can't see that. This is El Capitan. These are tiny little trees, and he's climbing it with no rope. This is from a movie called Free Solo. Show the next one, too. Can you guys see that? So he's going up this crack. It's called El Capitan. It's like 3,000 feet in Yosemite. And it's, it's in a movie called Free Solo. Right now, it's on Disney+. Plus. And if you have Disney+, Plus, I highly recommend seeing it. Don't show the next one yet. I'm obsessed with Alex Honnold. And part of it is because in this movie, he talks about, he specifically talks about growing up and stuff, but he talks about how his girlfriend 
sort of, if you ask her, like, her philosophy of life, like, what life is about, she, he says that she kind of thinks it's about getting the most out of it, having joy, get, being as happy as you can. Pretty normal stuff, right? Alex is more what you've accomplished and how you've succeeded at something and performing. And he's, and he's just, like, a, like, almost cold that way. And you can feel like that's how he must have been, how he must have grown up. But what it does for me is it made me always feel like I got to be the best at something. If I was going to pursue something, I needed to be the best at it. If I was going to pursue something in sort of the extreme sports, it had to be the wildest thing. There's nothing cooler for me than having somebody go, I can't believe you rode down that or that you climbed that or whatever. That was me for a long time. And that's why I'm obsessed with this guy, Gretchen thinks I have a problem. <laughs> she, she thinks I need to see a counselor. In fact, when she finds out, this is so, so this is, so we're, we're, we're in Pennsylvania for Christmas time, and I had, as a Christmas present, I promised Gretchen I would take her to New York. I had been there many times. I grew up in Pennsylvania. I grew up in Philly. I'd been there many times. I had no desire to go back to New York. Um, but she had never seen it before, so I promised her we'd go. I promised her I'd take her out to dinner in New York and that we would see the big tree in Rockefeller and all that stuff, and we did all that. It was awesome. So you have to imagine, I'm looking up at the Empire State Building, and it was really cool to go back because it's very different than when I'd been there before. The last time I'd been there was before the towers came down. So it's very different, very different now. Um, in a lot of ways, it's incredibly beautiful and a lot of ways, it's incredibly sad and lonely. It's a really strange, interesting, cool place to be. But, sorry, I'm, I'm looking up at the Empire State Building. When you're standing at the front doors of the Empire State Building, you can't even see the top because of the way it tears in, you know? But you're just like, Gah. it's just like incredible. So we're sitting having dinner, and I'm Googling. Now, one of the things with Gretchen and I, we try not to ever have our phones out when we're having dinner together, but I had to check on something, okay? And this is my obsession. So go ahead and show the next picture. I'm Googling this picture. This is the Empire State Building. Can you guys kind of see that? And this is El Capitan, the thing that, he, that Alex climbed. I had to just see a comparison because I had just gotten done looking at the Empire State Building. And I'm going, oh, I got to kind of compare. I got to see how much higher El Capitan is. I mean, it's twice the size. The fact that he climbed up there with no ropes. Incredible. Now, this is not a message about him, but I think it's hilarious. And Gretchen's going to think, Oh my goodness, I can't believe you had to put it in your message. That's how, that's how messed up it is, okay? That's how messed up. I mean, we're talking deeply messed up, okay? But I got to share my favorite movie that I've seen too many times, okay? So fast forward now. Now I'm a dad. And it's like 1995, 96, that area. I've got two kids. I have four, but this is a time when I had two before... We had Bay and Emmy, and, um, and I'm in my son's room. He's about two years old, one and a half, whatever. I don't know. When they're that young, it's, it's all this. But <laughs> he's really little, and I'm in his room, and I'm folding one of his shirts. Now, I got this shirt. This is, this is the shirt that belongs to my, my second grandson, Warren. I asked Allie if I could borrow it, but like... This is what I'm folding. I'm folding this little, little shirt. Oh, by the way, yeah. <laughs> just representing the right team, just so you know. Anyway, and I'm sitting there, guys, and I'm like, trying not to get emotional, but I'm holding this little shirt. 
And I, I can't explain it. There's not going to be words to describe it. If you're a parent here, you, 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 hopefully, hopefully you know what this feels like. And you don't have to be a parent. Just think of somebody that you cherish with all your heart. Just somebody that you cherish enough that when you think of them, it literally does like a kind of moment where you melt. And I just melted over my son's little shirt just thinking how much I loved him. And that was day one. This is about 25 years ago. That was day one of God beginning to speak into my life in a, in a way that he was using my love for my children so that he could explain his love for me because he knew it was a great way to get to me. If you just give God some time or listen to him, he knows how to talk to you just the way you need to be talked to. It's incredible. And so I'm sitting there. I'm literally on my knees folding up stuff, but I can't fold a shirt, and I'm just sitting there. And I could hear God's voice going, I love you so much more than that. And I'm going to tell you, usually when God speaks to me, I disagree with it. Half the time, it's, half the time that's how I know it's God. Because in me and my peanut human brain, with me knowing everything there is to know, right? When God speaks to me, I usually go, no, it can't, it can't be. That's got to be me dreaming that up. That's got to be me dreaming that up. But it's not. Look at what Matthew 7, 11 says. And by the way... Um, you can put that one up. I always remember this because of 7-Eleven, Slurpees, right? <laughs> Slurpees are the greatest thing on earth. Amen. Yeah, and I won't be having those anymore. Um, <laughs> God, I could cry. I could cry. We are just talking about that. Matthew 7-Eleven, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? There are not many verses, and I'm actually, I'm saying it this way because I haven't found any. There may be. As far as I know, there's no other verses in the Bible where you are encouraged to blow the lid off of your thinking about God. Maybe you, you can think of one. I haven't been able to think of one. But this verse literally says, how much more? Like, I dare you to think of how big it gets. Isn't that cool? If I, being evil, can sit there and melt over my little boy's shirt, how much more? How much more does a perfect, loving God love me? I'm telling you, as I speak this, as it comes out of my mouth, I'm telling you that there's so much of me that doesn't believe it. There's so much of me that just, as I speak it, literally goes, that just sounds really cool. That sounds nice, but ugh. What is it in me that fights that? I feel like I can't be loved that much. I don't know if it's just me beating myself up. I don't know if you guys are tracking with me in the same way. It is hard to imagine. It, it began this, this thing in me where I could just, I had so many. I could, I could give you examples. In fact, I started writing a book. I actually had started writing a book. that I, was, I, I hesitated even sharing that with you because sometimes a speaker it sounds cool to go, and I am writing a book about it, like as if it's like, hey, that guy's writing a book. Like I started a book, uh, and it'll never get done. But, <laughs> but it was all based on examples from my kid's childhood and how God would use an example. And, 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 and I'll just give you a couple really quick. Um, here's one. I have four kids. I, I could give you an argument as to why each one of them is my very favorite kid. Now, I have this human heart. You would think, okay, well, you got to kind of divide your love up, you know, 
between each kid, so they each get 25% or whatever. But souls, entities that don't work like that, there's no math for that, right? So with me being evil, imperfect, selfish, prideful, all the things I have, I can still appreciate the ability that I have to fill my heart with even just one of my kids, let alone all four. I can literally think of each one of them. Now, if I can do that, how much more so can God look at me and tell you why I'm his favorite? How much more so can he look at you and tell you, tell all of us why you're his favorite? Again, ugh, that's like I'm grading against that. That sounds like a pipe dream. That sounds like a fantasy. But it's true. Do you know where that gets convicting? Because I can look at a lot of you that I love. I know a lot of you and I can go, yeah, I can see God loving you to death because you're an awesome person. The hard time is when you go outside and maybe you see a homeless person on the street. Or maybe you just see something going down. Or maybe you just see somebody. I mean, we have evil acts committed every day all the time. Can you do it then? Can you look at that person and believe that God can see that person like they're my favorite too? Jesus died for them too. That's harder, isn't it? It's harder. But it's true. It's true. Um, I'm able to look at each one of my kids, no matter how much they may be screwing up or maybe not getting something right or just imperfection, whatever. But I'm able to see each one of my kids as ultimate, pure potential. That's how I see my kids. I see the potential in each one of them, the, the why God dreamt them up. I'm able to do it. Now, got to be honest, I can't do that for all your kids. I'm not a kid guy. So there are many times I see a kid acting up, and I'm like, oh, man, uh, whew, this. <laughs> there's a winner right there, you know. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, but we do that. I've, I used to, I used to <laughs> we, there, there, we had friends that had kids, and I just remember they just used to run crazy, and I used to just go, man, just give me two weeks with that kid. And, but, but I'm able to look at my kids and see nothing but pure potential. The good that's in them. The, the, and, and I'm telling you the, that there's that in every person because God dreamt you up. Do you, do you know that this morning? That you're God's idea? You're not my idea. You're not even your own idea. You're God's idea. You're his dream. He dreamt you up. He's able to see that in you. It's incredible. If I can do that with my kids, he can do that with you. And he can do it with me. Um, one other one really quick is my kids always have sort of my undivided attention, especially when they were growing up. There's always, with, with parents especially know this, there's something about, come on, let's just admit this, okay? <laughs> Young parents, when, when, for those of us that either have kids that are older now and not with us, or for the singles here, or sing, you know, anybody that hasn't had kids, people with new kids, they're not really fun to talk to, are they? <laughs> like... They're not the best having conversations. Half the time it's because, especially here, because half the time you're talking to them and you can tell one eye is looking at you and listening and the other eye is, where's my kid? What's he doing right now? What's she doing right now? Isn't that right? There's sort of like you can be talking to somebody and go, you know, we probably ought to talk about this later because I can tell your brain, especially when you have multiple kids, you might as well not even try to have a deep conversation. It's just kind of like they're all running amok and stuff. But there's something about that. The parents have attention 
When my, if I, I can hear my kid's voice, you can hear your kid's laughter, you can hear your kid cry, any of that stuff, and your attention is boom, right there. And if me being evil could be like that, how much more so? How much more so? One other one really quick, because the opposite is true too. How immature is it? Think about this. How immature is it for a kid or a young adult or an adult to be, let's use cookies as an example. Little kid, I want more cookies. Well, you just had three and that's what you get. That's what my mom used to be. You had three. That's plenty for anybody, right? And I'd be like, I want more. No, you can't have more. You're going to regret it one day. <laughs> um, because <laughs> I had more later, but, um, and that, I don't know if you've ever seen Jerry Seinfeld when he talks about, hey, I'm an adult now. When I became an adult, if I want a cookie, I have a cookie. If I want to ruin my appetite, I ruin my appetite. There's plenty more coming behind it. And, that, and that's kind of like you become an adult. But anyway, how immature is it for that child, right, to be denied any more cookies, to walk off thinking they don't love me, right? Wouldn't we all call that immature? We wouldn't even say that that's really a realistic thing. We would just say, yeah, they're just a kid. They're just a kid. They don't understand right now that some of the times I have to say no is for their best good, right? How many times do we do that as adults? Well, I asked for this thing. I asked, you know, God just doesn't seem to want to give me this. Or I asked for a spouse, husband, wife. I... And I, I keep feeling like I'm getting the answer, no. If we know God is good, and we know, especially from this verse, how good he is, why do we worry? Why would we worry about that? Okay. Anyway. So, this takes me to the concept that I want to share with you, okay? Um, that's the backdrop. All my years from starting from having sort of that look that hurt, in fact, this, the title of this message is called The Look, you'll see. The look that hurt to trying to be what I was, to trying to be a good parent, really starting to see God loving just in a different way, but still, like I told you and admitted to you this morning, I still fight it, I still struggle with it in my flesh and all that kind of stuff. Now, fast forward to, it's only a couple months ago, and I'm going to give you kind of a... Um, I'm going to just give a completely shameless plug for Prayer 101. We, let me just tell you this. I, Saturday mornings, um, when you see it coming up again, we've been trying to do like once a month, but sometimes it gets a little, little stretched out because of stuff happening. But Saturday morning we meet over at the loft. It's called Prayer 101. Basi basically, um, and the Gerlax and, and Jeannie have been incredible leaders of it. It's, it's not just to go and pray for people and things. It's to learn how to hear God speaking to you and communicating with you. God made you a communicator. Why wouldn't he speak to you? And I get it. We all get it. In fact, this is part of the cool thing about Saturday mornings. And I didn't mean to go into it this much, but it needs to be. Part of the cool thing about Saturday mornings is we all get it that some of us are weird. Like, we all get it that some of us are, like, I'm extremely creative in my brain. I can think up some stuff. And so there's, there's always that natural fear like, hey, what you're telling me that you heard God said, uh, 
I don't know, you know? But we allow for that. Like, that's, that's the idea. It's like, hey, that can happen. And, and there's parameters. You, you hear from the Lord and you check it against Scripture. You check it against other people. You check it against stuff. And, and there's ways to kind of just know, I know this is from the Lord. Um, every time we've had it, Joel usually asks at the end, have, has, has anybody heard from God today? Would you raise your hand if you heard from God? And every class I've been to, everybody raises their hand. Everybody's heard something. And it's incredible. It's incredible. Here's the other side of it, just so I can stay human with it. Every Saturday that it's planned, I have better things to do that day. Somehow, I get up in the morning, I go, I really should, I should, I don't feel so good. I'm kind of tired. Every time there's something stupid, and sometimes it's good, most times it's stupid, that would keep me from going and hearing from the God of the universe. I'd rather, oh, but there's a football game on, or I should really do the dishes, like, those things, it's amazing how they still fight you to go. And so I appreciate that many of you, there have been times when you probably were like, I should probably go over that and check it out. And then things came up. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I really am not. That's why I'm trying to say it happens to me every time. Every time. Friday night. Oh, we got prayer tomorrow. Okay, that's cool. What else do we got? <laughs> do we have anything else we got to do? Is there any, any reason we could not go? I mean, it's just, it's incredible. It's incredible. Me being evil, right? Okay, so that's, all of that's to say, here I am at the Prayer 101. And we're all being quiet, kind of in a meditative, just listening, listening, listening. And I often get pictures. I don't get like visions like, all of a sudden, this light comes down from the ceiling. It's like, you know, it's not like that. I get these, these cool pictures. Most of them I don't ever share with anybody. A lot of them I'm like, that's you, Dan. That's nice and creative. And then every once in a while, one comes through that's so, again, remember how I said I couldn't put words to it? It's, it's life-changing in a way that I deal with it from that point on most times for the rest of my life. You can tell me, I understand if you're skeptical, you can tell me that's just me and my consciousness giving me a nice thought. For me, it's, it's just too, it's more powerful than that. I can't explain it. So I'm sitting there in the picture that I got, the picture I got, and it's, it's really interesting because it came back to baseball, and I think God has this incredible genius way of bringing things together because bringing baseball and that look that I got to baseball and a different look. My kids all played baseball and softball, and all four of them did the same thing when they were younger. When they would get on first base or second, whatever they did, they get a single, get a walk, whatever, they'd get to first base, and the first thing they would do, and I, they'd look for me and smile. The first thing they'd do, they'd get to first, and they'd kind of do this, and be like, and smile. And God was like, that's what I want. That's what I cherish. Right there. Not the single. Like, can you get that, Dan? All my life, that's why I laid this whole thing out for you to see where I was at. Do you get that? No. <laughs> I'm trying to. But God's saying, I cherish that look. 
I cherish the us. I cherish the whatever that is. Whatever that is that makes it magical and special and precious, that's what I cherish, not the single. Not that you got a single. Not that you did something successful and made it to first base. That's not what I cherish. I cherish the look. I cherish the look back. I cherish the you and me, God. You and me. In that look is wrapped up with all kinds of cool stuff. All kinds of cool stuff. Like, I couldn't have got here without you. I, this is all because of us. Like, this is, this is just as much your single as it is mine. Because I'm, you know, you could have kept me in a closet when I was a kid. You know? But you taught me to throw. You taught me how to do It's It's a concept that if you can catch that, it can change everything. It can change everything. Can you, can you flash John 15.5 up there? The next verse. I am the vine, you are the branches. If any man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. All of this stuff, performance, even obedience, everything that we try to do so hard and we fight so hard to do, it's all about being tapped into the vine. It's not about you getting out and I think I'll try to do this as best as I can and maybe that'll make God happy with me. Do you see how that subtle little thing that happened between me and my dad became a thing that if I just do this, maybe he'll be happy with me? And it carries into our faith. If you're thinking that this morning or if you're new this morning, maybe you have, you're just checking church out for the first time. You, even if you haven't been to church, you've seen Christians who try to do that, who are trying their hardest. Of course, every, other religions are all trying to do it too. Everybody, it's all about work. It's all about trying to get the best thing you can do, best product, so that maybe whatever it is you're worshiping will be happy with you. And for Christianity, for what we are doing here, it's not how it is. It's maybe how we get stuck, but it's not how it is. It's him doing everything. Flash that next one up. You're not righteous by your performance. You're righteous by his performance. His performance. He did it. When we get performance-based, it becomes the stuff of religion, right? Maybe you're here and you like religion, but I don't know too many people that like religion. Religion, when you start talking religious stuff to somebody... It's a lot like talking about diets or things that they're not interested in hearing about. Because especially diet, like I, I mentioned the keto thing. I hate when people get on a diet and go, you should do this too. Don't you hate that? Like, just get away from me with your diet, right? Well, that's it's the same thing with Christianity or a lot of religions. Well, I'm following this. I started going to church and you should too. It's all the stuff of performance and religion. It's the stuff of pride. Pride and judgment. We judge people because we're going, well, if I'm trying so hard to do this when, and they're not doing it, how come they're not doing it? I'm trying hard to be right with, with my, my fiance and things like that and trying to be doing it the right way. And my friends over here, they're not doing it the right way in any way, shape, or form. And they seem happy. Like, we start to judge each other. What did you do this weekend? I stayed home. Well, you went out and did, you know, we, we, like we start looking at each other that way. It's the stuff of hypocrisy. And I don't even need to describe that. And then the biggest issue is that failure becomes brutif, brutally painful and shameful instead of being something that you could learn from, right? 
When you're in your right mind, failure at something should be a way to just go, hey, I just learned how to not to do that again. It's a way to learn, right? It's a way to just go, hey, okay, I knew this would be part of it. Failure is part of it. Let's do this. Let's keep going. Let's, let's, let's learn from it, right? But when you're performance-based, failure becomes something that kicks the stilts out from under you, and you end up landing flat, and it's horrible. It's horrible. Sometimes unrecoverable. And it has a way, this is the worst part, it has a way of pushing you away from the heart of God. When you're performance-based, religious-based, all those things we just talked about, it has this way, I'll, I'll, I'll bring back that analogy, it would be like if my kid hit the ball and got out, and they can't even look at me because they're so shamed for that. And the father heart that I have, being evil, would, would, would crumble at that. Like, no, man, I'm going to give you the same smile whether you got the hit or you didn't. Right? A good parent's going to go, hey, okay, next time. Get them next time. Right? But there's something about when you're performance-based, that shame of like, of, I can't even talk to you right now, God. That is, that's got to be so painful for him. I think, and I'm, I'm kind of taking a little leap here, but I think it's why God hates sin so much. A lot of times people think he hates sin because he's like, hey, I said not to do that, and you went ahead and did it. That makes me mad. Like, no, I think he hates sin because he goes, when you do that, you're shutting me out. I think he hates that. If you can catch that look, the right look, it changes everything. And I'm not, I'm not there yet, like I told you. I don't have it all together. I don't have it all together, but it's a, it's, a, it's a thing that as I learn and as I keep moving through it and, and molding through it, it brings incredible peace, especially in times like we're living in right now where things are very difficult. Um, in just a sec, we're done. I, I just want you to, I had a whole ton of verses I was going to share at the end. Uh, the, the just when you catch this, though, the whole Bible becomes different to you. You start seeing it in light of his fatherly love. I just want to end with this. I want you to think about the story of the prodigal son, and, and I don't know if you guys want to come up, whatever, but um, just as one illustration of Scripture, Jesus is telling the story of the prodigal son and the idea of the father running out to see his son, who, by the way, has done nothing right, right? Let that sink in with this idea. Let that sink in with this idea. He runs out to his son. The son has done nothing right. The most he's done right is kind of get himself back home, right? And the father comes running to him. And that's Jesus' story describing how things are in the kingdom. That's not some guy going, wouldn't it be cool if God does this? No, this is Jesus doing that. This is Jesus telling that story so Jesus knows what his dad's like, right? And he tells that about you. And if there's one thing some of you maybe this morning just need to get right, it's to up and go back home. Some of you just might need to do that. Now, however that works for you, whatever that means, I don't know. Again, it's this concept, right? But like the prodigal son, the one thing he got right after he just completely blew everything, is I, I just need to go home and see, see if I can even just be a servant there. And the father comes running out to meet him, throws a party. It's the coolest story in the Bible. <laughs>